Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. Again, there, friends in Whitecaps land, you're listening to There's Still Time, the AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio 101.9 FM, broadcasting from the unseated Musqueam Territory at the University of British Columbia. I'm Michael McCall. I'm Steve Pander. I'm Zach Meisenheimer. This is our February the 12th show, and if you're listening to it on the podcast, it's episode 176. And it's been a very busy week for the Whitecaps both on and off the pitch. MLS Commissioner Don Garber was in town. We'll we'll talk about that a little bit later on in the show. New Whitecaps kit was launched to wonderful reception. No, wait, 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 wonderful. What's the opposite of wonderful? I don't know, I'm not sure. I I, I tweeted out that it was released to a mixed reaction. I think that's really... uh, Yeah, and I was told... Sugarcoating it, yeah. Struggling to find anyone that really likes it. Some people did buy it, which uh, I was quite surprised by, but it's the new Rain City kit, the Rain kit, the Triangle kit, the Pyjama kit, the Pizza Triangle kit, Pythagoras kit, lots of different names for it. I think I'll I'll go with the the crappiest kit they've ever released in in their MLS history. That's that's sure according it. (laughs) That that takes some doing as well. I mean, Zach, you were were there at the Town Hall on Monday. What, What did you make off it when you saw its release and what was the reaction like in the room? Well, I, I, no one, I don't think people were too surprised based on the the teasers and the build-ups and the, I, I don't, yeah, in the room, I think people were like, what, what is this a little bit? <laughs> or like, or like, is this for real? But it, was, was not, there, was there a hush or something or like a groan or anything like that or? In certain areres I think there was were there? Yeah, some groans or some like but no booing or hissing or anything like that uh there was booing at other times I'm not sure I don't think there was I think there was booing at the kit yeah. so, you know it's hard to boo when your players are walking out <laughs> like, yeah that, that's the, players that's, that you appreciate are walking yeah out. that's the thing that's the whole timing of the marketing yeah. you get it at this right time I, I saw some photos from from people that had bought it and one of the first things that struck me like hideous design aside it looks really thin. Because some of the guys that had it on, they had T-shirts on underneath it, and you could actually see the print of the T-shirt underneath it. I, that's, I don't that's, know not, that's not abnormal, though, with a white kid. Yeah. It, it, for me, it, it raised the question, where does it fit into the... The, the Pantheon. Yeah. The, <laughs> where does it fit into the, the white caps arc of, of MLS kits? I, I think the, you said there was eight altogether. There's yeah, been, I'm pretty sure there's four white. Yeah, three, four white, three, three bluish. Away, and uh, a third 
rocket. I think it's number eight with a rocket. <laughs> or it, it's a, possibly even number nine from the top eight kits, uh, <laughs> as far as I'm looking at it. If you were to rank then <clears throat> your your three favourite white caps kits from just from the MLS era, what, what would you go for, Zach? Well, I, I uh, uh, strangely enough, for me, there's only two really. Oh, the, I, yeah, the, the original. So everything tied for third. Yeah, no, not even. Uh, I, I, for me, probably the one that stands out the most is the original, the original blue, mm-hmm. or s- secondary kit. Um, and then for me, I, I'd say the Arbutus Brown was uh, one I appreciated. Uh, I, I liked the color and uh, had a hoop, which was or a pseudo hoop on the front, which was nice. I think that yeah, the others uh, have the others. I, I, those haven't been great or. But I, I don't think they've been like as, even this one. I, even this one, I, I don't necessarily think it's like horrible as some people maybe feel. I think it's. I, I, I personally think it's utterly lazy. This kit. And well, it's, I, it's, I, it's, I, it, it is a little bit awkward as people have been releasing pictures of Adidas tops with the exact same yeah. thing on it. So yeah, it, it feels less. It feels less original than it is. But it's. It is also maybe original in the sense of being a, being a football kit. Yeah. But maybe that's because it's yeah. so strange. It, it, but, is, it is different. I will give them credit for that. Different is not good sometimes. <laughs> but <laughs> but here's, yeah. here's, here's the thing. People, there's whether it's a vocal min- minority or vocal majority, a lot of people would like to see a proper hoop, hoop kit, right? Yeah. You know, if Jay Duke was I'm, here, I'm, I'm he, would say, he would say, yeah. give me my hoop, you know? And so the thing is for me, and, and they're probably waiting for like a, an anniversary or maybe in 2019 for the, yeah. you know, the that, anniversary. That's or, for me, 40-year anniversary of the soccer ball, 2019, that's when you're going to get your retro kit. So here's, here's the thing, though. And this is one of the things that I think people in modern sports, especially in North America, don't understand. Is and this is, comes down to um, how I view what a football club is, and you know, but people have power. You have power. If you do not like this kit, if you do not think it's good, don't buy it. Don't buy yeah, it. Yeah. Send the message to the people who are making these decisions in the only language they speak. Which is financially. Well, so, don't like it, don't buy it. Well, it's getting called the 2017 rain kit. So, does that mean it's not going to be the 2018 rain kit? Well, who knows? Because to bring a kit out for one year as well. No, is I think not... they're, they're giving it 2017 because that's the year's released. I yeah. think that next year there might be the uh, another, maybe a third year, uh, kit or something like well, that. Well, here's the, here's the other th- awkward thing about the kits is yeah. uh, as of uh, maybe the, the second blue one with the blue with the silver in it, uh, the silver uh, fringes or a yeah. lining. We stopped having uh, a, whole, a home and away or a first a primary and a secondary. Yeah. From that year on, it literally became we need to sell the new kit, so therefore it's going to be be worn a whole bunch so like last year the sea to sky one which again i didn't really i appreciated the the idea behind it i appreciate the idea behind having an integral campaign like they have like this i'm not a fan of the rain thing but at least it's like something that they're kind of like it's shaping everything they're doing their imagery like i appreciate that at least but with that sea to sky like we wore it half the games last year yeah and so it's not home or away. It's not. It's all about selling the selling new kit. The kid, it's yeah. all about. It's all about dollars and cents. Yeah. yeah. So and you were and you were talking about appreciating the kit, the previous kits. The thing is with me is, I've I've only bought. Talking about, about going against the top three, I've only bought three kits since they, and that was the uh, the initial white one because it was the initial one, the initial blue one, which I think is the best one out of the three, out of all of them. Sorry, and then I bought the Abutus Brown one because it was something different. 
After that, I have never really liked their kits. I've never hated them, but I never liked them. And But th this kit that just came out this year, because I just find it, like I said, being so lazy, they just wanted to... It, and like you said, it's showing up on other Adidas stuff, that I'm appreciating the other kits even more now. And and they actually don't look as bad as they did when they first came out. I didn't, like I said, I never hated them, but I never really loved them to buy it. I've never liked any of the, the home kits that, that they've brought out at all since, since 2011. For me, my top three, the current away strip, I love. Sea to sky, love the colour yeah. scheme of it. I know you're not a fan, Zach, you're shaking your head here, but for me, that's my favourite. Second favourite would be the very first away kit, 2011. Gorgeous blue colour that I've got upstairs. And then I, if I was pushed to pick a third, it would be the Arbutus Brown. Just because it was different and it, it, it went... Nice, it was it was something a little bit different. Being over in, in the UK the last couple of weeks as well, it was interesting. I was at a Newport County game, and for the game that I was at, they wore their away kit at a home match because they were doing a special promotion re reduced in, in the club shop. And they had to get permission to use one of the few allotted times they're allowed to wear their away kit at home. Oh, yeah. So that's what they applied it for. And you have to, it has to be for a special reason, so like a promotion you're doing or to commemorate something. And that's how it should be here. Your home kit's worn at home, your away kit's worn away from home. Unless there's going to be some kind of weird colour clash away from home, in which case you can wear your home kit. Yeah, to me, to me, it's not, there shouldn't be home, it's not home and away. It's your primary kit. And you only wear your secondary kit when you it's a color when it's, clash. it's a color yeah. clash, and and then yeah, big clubs will have a third kit or a European kit, like in Europe, like lots of clubs will have. This is our Champions League or yeah. UEFA, yeah. a Europa League kit or whatever. But that's again all about yeah, doing, some, it, doing something different and making money. Comparing right? like, Europe to North America, no, two I, different things. Last thing, I kind of beat this beat this to death, really. So the last thing I want to talk about strips is now you're obviously involved uh, with Curva Collective, one of the supporters groups. Something which has interested me is so many clubs across the world, they get fans to either design the kits or to vote on what ones they want and they go with the fan choice. Has there ever been any discussions with the Whitecaps front office that the fans will have a say in what the kit selection is going to be? Michael, you're asking if our, our front office would want to give up control of something? Yeah. yeah. Naively, perhaps. <laughs> no, but I'm, I'm no I, I, not, not to my... Not, uh, not to my knowledge, but maybe in the early days of, of the MLS era, they might have looked at engaging. But like again, I can understand why they wouldn't, right? Because you're because the timeline of things yeah. and keeping and things going to go for the hoop, and yeah, and keeping it quiet and everyone going for the hoop, and because you you do want to build again, whether you love it or hate it, at least they've kind of gone all in and and. and with an imagery that they're using for everything. Yeah, I mean, there's a whole marketing campaign. Yeah. One, one other comment about this this uh, motif that they've gone with that is lots of people have, again, also spoken about is they're highlighting an element, like, it, it, it's integrated. I, I love that it's integrated. Like, it's something that is very Vancouver. How many people appreciate or love or are passionate that it rains a lot here. Yeah. You know, like, why would you highlight something that a lot of people see as a negative or an annoyance or a Plus, frustration? They, they've said that, because we don't hide from the rain, says the team that plays <laughs> under a roof. <laughs> let's leave it on that thought. So en enough of the off-field talk. Let's get back to the on-field chat. And uh, the preseason is still in full force. We're recording this episode before the game on Sunday. We've had to do that because Zach's heading down to Portland for the pre-season friendly against Real Salt Lake. 
So the Whitecaps kicked off the Rose City Invitational Tournament in Portland on Thursday night. 1-0 draw with newcomers Minnesota United. It was a 1-0 draw. Minnesota took the lead. Fantastic headed goal by Eric Hurtado, unfortunately in his own net. Whitecaps went up the field, laser from the forgotten man. Well, I just think he'd actually forgotten how to attack. Russell Tybert made it one all. It was a little bit harsh in the Whitecaps, I felt, because I think they were the slightly better team. Can't argue too much with it with it being a draw, but the, the one thing that stood out was it was definitely stronger opposition than the three under 23 sides that the Whitecaps faced in Wales. And although there were some positives to take from the game, and it's pre-season, so you can't really read too much into it, but it wasn't the best performance. A good workout, Carl Robinson described it at, but I was disappointed. Well, the weather cooperated, right? They got, oh, their, yeah. they got their rain, yeah. so they must have been they happy about that. that. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I think when, in preseason, I think you want there, there to be a progression in terms of the intensity of your opponents. So I, I don't mind the fact that we went from these U23 sides into playing you know, a more tougher... Stern, experienced, experienced yeah. side. So I, I, I no. I, I was excited at the under twenty three games, probably because I was on vacation. You just get caught <laughs> up with the, this, this sheep, this rolling hills. <laughs> there's Welsh cakes. There's beer of breath. You get caught up with it. Whitecaps score eight goals over two games and keep two clean sheets. You get caught up with that. Then you kind of see them against MLS opposition, and you're like, ah, oh. the the defense is still looking good. They were pretty much untested. I mean, apart from Eric Hurtado's moment of madness, which I know you guys it feel... Wasn't that it bad. wasn't, yeah. It was, he was trying to clear it over the thing. It was, he was trying to clear it. It was a near post ball. He was trying to clear it. He didn't get didn't I didn't get his head on it the way he wanted. Or misjudged it yeah. or whatever the case. It was... It was uh, I mean, going, going back to last year, you could say, sure, it's an individual error or an individual misplay. That's fine. Yeah. That happens. You want it to happen now in the preseason, not. Yeah. not but in I mean, the that that aside, the defense looked pretty pretty solid for the whole night. Kendall Waston made his start. We also saw on Thursday night the first appearance in a white caps shirt of new uh, attacker midfielder number ten. However, he's going to fit into the mix. It's going to be as a number ten, Jordi Reina, the Peruvian signed from Austrian club Salzburg. He really looked the part to me. I mean, he came on. It was a, it was a cameo appearance. He, he didn't really have much time on the pitch, but had a, a couple of nice moves. He kind of closed the ball down well. Nice turns. Not afraid to have a shot. Kind of made the offence tick. And that was exciting. I mean, the, the prospect of having him in the middle, with Davies out right, Manny out left, Bola when he's fit out right as well, very exciting. All that's missing, of course, is this elusive number nine striker. Reina, Reina could be our diminutive yeah. little talisman. and I mean, he, he looked great. It's very, very, very early days to, to really kind of gauge what impact he's going to have. And, and but he looked, if, he looked good. I mean, it, it was noticeable during the game. And then when, when you watch the, the Portland RSL game afterwards and the six goals in that, kind of the lack of real attacking threat in the team initially is concerning. There was a moment in the second half when Giles Barnes made a great run, went out wide, did everything right, put the perfect ball across goal right in the middle, and it was right where a number nine, which ironically Barnes was wearing, but that's where a number nine would have been there just to tap it in. So we know the DP's coming. We know he would have scored that. 
So technically, I feel that was a goal, and we won two one. <laughs> that's that's Robo's twisting. Maybe, maybe, maybe then we do that for the whole season if even if the DP doesn't come. Yeah, fantasy we, points. We are fantasy winners of, of the supporter shield, but I mean, it, it was very obvious that that that's the piece that's missing. So I I think the team that we're going to see against Portland on Wednesday is pretty much going to be the team that that starts the the Champions League game against New York. And it should have some changes from that game against Minnesota. I think we're going to see Shane and Williams as the right back. Jake Norwinski's done well, but now that Williams has shaken off his injury and he's yeah, to be coming if he, back, if he's hundred percent, you're not going to put a rookie yeah. in there at the first game. Although Jake, I think, has performed admirably. Yeah, yeah I mean, he, he's done really well, he's rewarded his with with his contract. Yeah, and then it's. It's whether we get our DP number nine striker in in time for this game against New York. If we do, he's going to be playing up front. If not, we're probably going to have maybe Jordi Reyna up front, Nico Mesquita in the middle. The the big question, I guess, is if you do that, you're probably going to have Kikuta on the left and you'll have Alfonso on the right. Kikuta has been playing in the middle and I still hate it. I just think he's neutered and he's not at his best there. No, yeah, but the Toronto game, he did play well in, in there. Um, yes, I think I think it depends on the uh, the opponents he plays. If it's uh, depending on who the, how the defense is set up, he can thrive in that position. Or, like you said, I agree with you, he could get lost in that position as well. So, I think they have to be careful when they play him at number ten. Uh, but I think in Toronto, I think he was more in the middle as uh, uh, up top. There's a to yeah, me, there's a, to, but to me, there's a difference between. Yeah, him playing two stri- yeah. with two strikers, connecting or, with. or him playing yeah, yeah. in those three. That's to me a drastic difference. Yeah, it's true. You, you also have the question that if if the left wing spot is up for grabs, Marcel de Jong did really well in Wales. Yeah. As we talked about, the opposition maybe was not fantastic. Christian Teixeira, he did well in the last game in Wales uh, in the win against Bristol City. Disappointed me against Minnesota. A lot of comments I saw about him about being lazy. He continues to frustrate me because he has the ability. He he had a great free kick last night that just went inches by in the first half. But he's just... The, I don't know, he's not bringing it. It's like he no, doesn't feel under pressure the thing, to be at his base. The thing is, is when he first came, we saw the highlights. I remember us watching the highlights and we both remarked that he was going into the box. He was like, just like a, you know little bull in a china shop was just going in the box attacking and everything like that he did it initially when he came here and then he got like complacent for some reason and i think i think maybe you're right he's not feeling pressure signing that contract i think that's i think it's there's healthy competition for places on that on that left side especially if kakuta is going to play in the middle or up top or whatever so i i i think i know this is not everything but like this offseason like marcel de young worked hard and he let people know via his social media he was working hard to be ready for the season. He had the Canadian camp to get ready for, which made him more ready for our preseason. So yeah. he came into our preseason like like ready for it. Like a lot, I know this is not the the, the be all and the end all, but a lot, if you look at the, the players' social media in the off season, a lot of them it was like the sun they got in, the time they were with their family, whatever. Bleaching hair. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Marcel had like just like I'm, he was in the gym nonstop, right, and then. Uh, I think he was, you know, working early, even when he was in Vancouver um, and not away, working crazy hard to get ready for the season. So I, I hope that pays off for him and yeah. for us. But um, I think there's a good, I think there's a good battle to be had over there. I think, I think also it was nice to see this preseason him playing where he belongs, 
which yes. is further up the field than not. And left it, back. it's the best that I've seen De Jong as a white cap. And yeah. I was impressed by him. Again, opposition, you can look at all that, but he impressed me. And yeah, there's, there's definitely competition for a number of spots. And one thing which was revealed uh, this week as well is it looks like the roster size is going to be increased again. It was 28. It's going to be 30 with the potential of having 31 if you loan a player to your USL team. The exciting thing for me is competitive football is now just 11 days away. But as we said, it wasn't just on the field that was a busy time in Whitecaps land this week. Monday saw MLS Commissioner Don Garber in town. He had a, a media meeting in the morning, which, which I was at. No hissing at that, though. No. Well, um, obviously not. <laughs> no. But no, he had a, a meeting with the media in the morning, did some charity stuff. He also met with Whitecaps technical staff. The Whitecaps had a meeting on Monday just for all the technical staff across the country, all the academies, everything like that. They brought them into Vancouver so that everyone's kind of on the same hymn sheet. And then Garber had a, a town hall meeting at the Vogue on Monday night. Alongside Jeff Mallet, Bobby Leonard Doozy was there, Carl Robinson, I feel I'm missing someone. Stephen Nash. Oh yeah, Steve Nash. So the meeting that the media had with Garber on Monday, it, it was good, it was informative. You're, you're never going to get any earth-shattering things out of it. Although he did reveal that teams are going to be subsidised for, for having Canadian designated players. And he said, as we announced, but everyone's <laughs> looking at each other going, I've when never heard this it? in my life. Yeah. But there was a, a number of good things. and Hashtag transparency. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, transparency was brought up a lot. And when you've got the commissioner in town, you want to kind of raise some of the big hot talking points in the league. So I kind of went on a bit about referees with him. Um... I think so much so that by the time as you'll hear this, I asked the third question, his response was, wow. So yeah, I mean, MLS refereeing, it's not the best. He disagrees, he would. Um, we'll talk about that in a sec. Let, let's hear now from Don Garber and just the questions I put to him on Monday, just about the state of MLS refereeing, whether Disco undermines the referees, the new video assistant referees that, that's getting brought in and pro, just everything about it. So let's hear now from MLS Kamesh, Don Garber. pretty sure one of the things you're going to get asked about tonight is the standard of refereeing. It, last season it just seemed to take a step back again and even watching the CONCACAF games, the difference between the referees, the CONCACAF games, the games just were allowed to flow. Is it, is it the league that's sending the message to the referees that you want to kind of sanitise the game? Because it, it feels like you're almost wanting to take tackling out of it. No, it's not the league. You know, pro, which you're probably familiar with, is a is a, a, uh, an entity that's jointly managed by the CSA and uh, the U.S. Soccer Federation. It's based in the MLS League office and has the same kind of structure that the PGMOL uh, has with the Premier League. But at no time has an MLS executive ever sat down with uh, 
Peter Walton and say, this is how we want you to officiate a game. I mean, they are an independent body. Uh, we provide the vast majority of the funding so that we could have more full-time professional referees, that they're getting properly trained, they're getting properly assessed, that they have the right technology. Uh, but there is no, uh, and I don't think there is in any league, uh, some edict that comes down from uh, the league to tell them how they should be uh, refereeing the games. Uh, so the answer to that is no. Were you happy with the standard refereeing last I think it's a lot better than most people give us credit for. Uh, when I look at Premier League games, and I, I watch them like you guys do, I see the same level of challenges with uh, the game as exists in our league or exists in Liga Max. It's the nature of the sport. And I, I think we're unfairly criticized for uh, the standard of refereeing in our league. And I'm not quite sure why that is. Uh, when we look at how our referees are assessed uh, and uh, the, uh, the, the level of, of um, uh, what we call key match or the number of key match indicators, uh, the uh, decisions that they're making over the last couple of years uh, have been better and better, and yet our fans think that refereeing has gotten worse and worse. But then I'll travel over to England or I'll travel over to to Spain and I hear the same thing. So I think it's the nature of the sport. I think globally it's why FIFA and IFAB and many of the, the top leagues have gotten behind uh, video assisting uh, the, the whole VAR program. Because I think we're gonna provide technology and, uh, and hopefully um, give the referee uh, the tools uh, to hopefully take away some of the decisions that they do make that are incorrect because uh, that happens in all leagues. You know, I'll just give you a, a, a man-in-the-street uh, story. The other day I was, I was meeting with a top English referee, uh, and he was talking about how he, and he, was, he refereed uh, a World Cup final, and uh, he missed a, a key call in that final, and he said, hey, I made the wrong call. You know, if I would go back today, uh, I'd probably make a different decision. But that's the game, and that was the World Cup final. And uh, I think he's a very well-respected referee that most people think is one of the top referees in the world. So I, I just uh, I get frustrated with that the level of uh, criticism, but you know hopefully VAR or VAR addresses some of that. I'm not sure that it will. Just last thing for me on that then, with, with disco, there is, there is it's hard not to feel it kind of undermines the referees during the game a little bit. And then on Monday you've got Soundborg on the website highlighting every single missed call and saying that should be a red, that should be a red. Then when it comes down to the kind of the, the disco panel decisions, there does seem to be an element of inconsistency there. There was a number of high profile players that maybe didn't get the suspension, whereas players like say Vancouver were picking up suspensions left, right and centre. Oh man. <laughs> well, uh, that could not be further from the truth. As the guy that ultimately has to uh, uh, weigh in on the appeals that take place uh, and, and the numbers of appeals by, uh, by team, by players have gone down dramatically. And I think that's an example of uh, the process is working. You know, in the early days of the whole discipline committee process, you know, I think I was reviewing, you know, I had an appeal almost every week. I think I had three last year. Uh, and one, of them I, one or two of them, I think we overturned the decision of the discipline committee uh, you know, we would lose all credibility if we were making decisions that, I said we, if the discipline committee was making decisions that were either protecting or 
unduly putting uh, scrutiny on any particular player. Uh, so it would be interesting to put those all up in a screen and take a look at them, because I think if you were, I think you'd see that they are uh, very consistent in their view. Remember, that's got a players on it. It's got uh, a union representative on it. It's got uh, a number of, of league technical people on it. And uh, they have to rule unanimously in order to uh, enact a, uh, any discipline. So five guys have to all come together and see the play the same way, which might be different than the official saw. Uh, so let me get to the whether it is uh, uh, providing uh, sort of second guessing the official. You know, I think the discipline process is the time that the league and the union can come together and govern a bit the way the game is played. So if in the preseason our players and our coaches and our technical staff and league officers are saying, you know, we've had a number of reckless tackles that have caused uh, uh, career-ending injuries, and for whatever reason the official was out of position or uh, the official was missing those calls, we want to send a message to our players, not the league office. This is coming as much from a partnership with our union. We want to uh, send a message that, you know, we want our players to be safe and we want them on the field so that the discipline committee is going to be reviewing those kinds of tackles. That's post, you know, play. That's not during, they're not sending that message to the, uh, to the referee. Uh, there was a time several years ago where there were issues with head injuries and there were a number of elbows to the head. And I think in one year, I should have, the, I don't know the exact statistic, but an unusual number of injuries during play with reckless uh, elbows. And the discipline committee came together and said, we'd like to not see that happen. And they sent a message out that said, you know, you're, you're going to have to be uh, more careful in uh, how you go about uh, clearing yourself for a head ball, for an example, uh, while heading the ball. And we reduced injuries. So I think that's actually a positive thing. Believe it or not, other leagues have looked at our discipline committee and uh, are, have thought about uh, putting that process in place because I think it is a way to uh, protect your players. One thing that you'll notice interesting, I don't think I've ever mentioned this before, when we do an appeal, we remind uh, the players' union that they're representing both the player who has been disciplined and the player who might have been injured. Because there are two players involved, not just the player that's been suspended. And the debate that goes on in that appeal uh, generally is reflecting uh, whether or not that player did something that uh, was uh, violent in nature. And I don't think I've ever had a player that said, you know, uh, I really intended to do that. But in almost every case, they say, hey, I didn't mean it, but, you know, I'm really sorry that uh, that guy, you know, got injured on that play. So it's an interesting, the whole discipline process is an interesting thing. I think you'd probably say, wouldn't it be fun to have more transparency on it? Why, why, why not make them? You know, I, I actually think it is to protect them, you know, <laughs> uh, for all the reasons that you could imagine. I mean, I think it is really positive that there's a lot of so social energy around this stuff, far more so than ever before. There is more interest in transparency. There's more hot stove stuff going on, both with the media and fans. That moves the league in a certain direction. But as it relates to ensuring that those five people can do their job and do it without having any undue pressure, I think that's important. You know, they are... 
and I don't think, again, they get enough credit for it. They review every single game, they review every single play, and they've got to go through that to ensure that they're uh, getting it right in a unanimous way. It's a lot of work. Nobody's paid for it. So... So Don Garber there talking about a whole load of things about MLS refereeing. For me, it's terrible. And, I mean, it was raised at the town hall meeting as well. He, he got a hard time there about it. MLS refereeing is not up to the standards required to have this league as one of the top leagues in the world, which Garber so dearly seeks. Although he did also say in, in the meeting as well, when he was pushed on about having the best league in the world by, say, 2022, he said he might push that back to 2026 now. <laughs> I mean, th- just some quick thoughts on, on MLS refs. Yeah, I, I don't have a problem with him defending it, but he should, shouldn't be saying it's like top quality or something in the world. Um, th- there are so many holes uh, that you expect. Just like the quality of play, the quality of refereeing has, got, has to improve. And the, I would rather have him say, we're trying to educate our referees, trying to get new people in and everything like that. I'd rather hear him say something, stuff like that, instead of, I know he can't rip the referees. But remember, he's uh, the referees are a separate organization too, so he if he wants to rip him, he can rip him. He's not they're yeah. not going to do anything to him. I mean, he he was keen to point out that they're independent. He's keen to point <laughs> out that that no that, one no one connects with them. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're independent, but they do work out of the league office. <laughs> yeah. um, he was also keen to point out that there's no edict from the league. That we want to clamp down on this, we want to clamp down on that. Isn't that exact opposite of what was reported last year? Yeah, he no, says that, that's not possible because who, who, where else are these edicts coming from? Well, he says that Pro meet with the players' union, and the players' union raise concerns that they have about oh, this tackle is injuring our kind of guys. There's lots of elbows, there's head knocks. We want you to clamp down on this, this, and this. Which, as you heard there, he said that. But then the interesting thing is when all the decisions were happening at the start of last season, so many players were speaking out about it and they didn't seem to know that all these decisions had been agreed with the the players' union. So somewhere along the line there's either miscommunication or worse. But he's, he's adamant that the league do not tell referees what to do. Maybe they should. I do feel the game is getting sanitised and you watch Champions League games... And the game flows. Over in the pre-season games in Wales, the referees were fantastic. It was actually really interesting. The the last game when they played against Bristol City, I was right behind the the linesman. And I did not appreciate how much communication actually goes on between the linesman and the referee. The linesman was talking non-stop, saying, yeah, number eight was offside, yeah, that was a good tackle with that guy there. Uh, and they were just talking about the game. It was you appreciated the. Referees? I really, really uh, actually appreciated hearing that. But again, those referees, and I know it's a friendly, but they let things go as well. Yeah, and it, it's sensible refereeing. At, at this point, I, I don't know how much you, you can rely on the refereeing being top. I think at this point, you ha- might have to um, set your team up to fit whatever the referees are going to do. So maybe. I know they want to be a physical team and everything. Maybe you can't do that anymore in MLS. Maybe you're going to have to be. Well, Kendall Waston can't. Yeah, because he's. And the problem is, is 
because he's getting so many yellow cards here and there that maybe it's affecting his game and he doesn't want to play like that and that's that's yeah, the way he's supposed to play. I, he has dyed his hair for this season, yes. I think, so that people don't recognise him. Yeah, that, that'll, <laughs> help, that'll help for sure. I, I, think, I think he's sorted. He's golden with that. Yeah. Uh, the other big thing that's been introduced is VAR, Video Assistant Referees. And it's a system that is in place at the moment during the pre-season tournaments. I think it's something like 15 of the 22 MLS teams are going to be subject to this in, in the pre-season. Then it's going to run during the MLS season, kind of, not during games, kind of like offline, uh, up until the All-Star game where they're going to kind of review it and, and see how things are with it. So it was, it was in force at the Portland Invitational Tournament on Thursday. Everyone thinks it was first used in the RSL Portland game, but it was actually first used in the Whitecaps Minnesota game beforehand. But there's nothing to review. No, you see, people might think there was nothing to review, yeah. but they actually reviewed Eric Hurtado's own goal because oh. even the referee wanted to know what the hell he was doing. <laughs> but no, officially it was used for the first time. Portland, RSL, Diego Chara got a red card. For an elbow to the head of RSL's Jura Mofsisian. It took about three minutes to yeah, review, I mean, right? The first thing is, it was great because it was a correct decision. There was an elbow. Flying the, re- elbow. the referee missed it, despite it taking place right, right in, front in front of, of him. Right in front of his face. <laughs> Not quite sure how he missed it. It's clearly the elbow. You could see yeah. the elbow joint going into the side of the head. Yeah. And the incident took place at the 37.54 mark. Chara was not shown the red card until the 40, 43 minute mark. So almost under, just yeah. under three minutes. Two minutes, 49 seconds from the incident taking place to the red card being shown. And what was even more baffling was it was 53 seconds before the referee, Soren Stoika, who'll be known to many Whitecaps fans as the, the guy that sent Carl Robinson off against New York last year. It was 53 seconds before he even called for the review. And at that time, the RSL guys went to take the corner, which had transpired from the play. And he's asking the assistant referee, do you know what's happening? I don't know what's happening. And I'm not sure the linesman really knew what was happening. But obviously, Stoika got a message in his ear saying, uh, you should, should actually go? review that. Because there's four things they can review. Red cards, mistaken identity, goals, and penalty kicks. Well, the thing is, what like you're talking about the referee. I think it should be faster for than 53 seconds for the, them to f- send the message from yep, down there. Totally. That needs to be faster. They need to be within 10 seconds. They need to see a replay and send the message down to get them to review it. Yeah, it was a full two minutes from review to red card. Yeah, and then that should be faster too because it was a clear red card even in the replays. So they just need to... I don't have a problem with the the review, but it has to be way faster than three minutes when it's that yeah. obvious. Well, it, if it's a goal where it's just over the line, that I can understand. Well, that's, they've got your goal line technology as yeah. well and your your wristwatch, which is instantaneous, yeah. as we saw during the, the Women's World Cup. But it was just over a minute for Stoika to, to review it, and it was nearly another minute as he communicated to everyone. But the good thing about it was it was the correct decision was made in the end. Yeah. Now, I've always been a bit of a purist, a traditionalist. You might even want to say a Luddite. I don't like this technology change in the game. You're not cock-a-hoop over it. No, I'm not. I'm all for instant referees, video referees, if it's a really quick thing and it doesn't really delay the game by much. That was too long. It's going to get streamlined. I think that was just... That was not acceptable. But I have completely changed my opinion on it. 
and I'm all for technology now helping in the game. The, the issue I always had in the past was it has to be consistent so that if you're seeing an MLS, the same thing can happen in, say, VMSL. Obviously, that's not going to happen. But there's been so many cock-ups in MLS that, for me, video refereeing and anything that can help them during the game, not undermine them afterwards like Disco, it can only be good. Howard Webb has been hired, as was noted earlier, that, that he's the head of this video reviewing system. And as long as Manchester United doesn't join MLS, we should have no problem <laughs> yeah. at all with it. So um, uh, I, I, th- I think it's all right. Now, a qu- one qu- quick question to you. Do you guys would rather have the clock running at the time, or do you want it to stop clock? You can't stop. So, so there's no okay. Because yeah. that, that kind of is going to be weird where if it's a lot of replays, they're going to have to do injury time, and they're going to have to do really yeah. replays. So that's going to be like nine you, minutes to it. You know, you know, the biggest thing is, is, is might impact broadcast time. Yeah, right? that's, the, that's the issue. It's going to be a big problem. Cause, cause but, 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 but broadcast should be two and a half hours at they the minimum. Be, but at the minimum, not, yeah. anyways. But, yeah. Yeah. Well, there's, there's no broadcast left in Vancouver anyway, so I think we're fine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there's no radio deal for the Whitecaps as things stand right now. And from what I've heard as well, TSN... When they're covering Whitecaps away games, they're actually going to get called off a monitor in a studio in Toronto. So they're, they're not sending people now to, to cover Whitecaps on the road. Now we're going to come to my favourite section of the show. It's only the second week of it, but already it's my favourite section. It's one of my favourites too now. Yeah, and it was actually the, the part of our, our debut CITR show that, that got the best reaction from Twitter, from emails, just direct messages... Lots of people getting in touch, and it's our Wavelength section. Wavelength is a part of our show where we're going to play you a football-related tune by a proper band. So we're not just talking football chants, we're talking proper bands, proper music, with a football theme. We were talking about referees with Don Garber, so I thought I'd get us a a referee-themed tune for this week. And for that, there's no one better than Half Man, Half Biscuit. A band who's had many football-related songs over the years. We're going to feature them in many of our episodes to come, I'm pretty sure. And for this week's Wavelength tune, we're going to go with a song called The Referee's Alphabet from the 2003 album Camo Laird Social Club. Now, that's kind of a, a piss take on the Buena Vista Social Club, which was kind of out at the time. And Camo Laird is actually a football club in Merseyside, Birkenhead, who currently play in the North West Counties Premier Division. Impressive. Yeah. So this is just a wonderful A to Z of refereeing from a referee's viewpoint. This is The Referee's Alphabet by Half Man, Half Biscuit. The A is for my authority, which many players seem to question, thinking they're somehow going to make me change my mind. B is for babies, which a lot of managers cry like after a decision has not gone their way. C is for the continual criticism I receive from the touchline. Get back in your technical area. The D is for the dunderheads, who seem to think we have a conspiracy against their particular team. A is for the eerie silence which echoes around the ground when I've booked a home team's player and it's obvious to everyone that he deserved it. F is the farce into which most games would descend if we weren't there. The G is for the gnarled face of someone who's on £90,000 a week and reckoned he should have had a throw-in. 
Pages for handball, which has to be intentional, and very rarely is. If only people would study the rules more. I is for innocence, pleaded by many a doe-eyed defender after they've just scythed down that tricky winger. J is for jujitsu, which I quite intend to display given a dark alley and some of the narky blurts I've encountered. K is for the kissing of the badge. How ridiculous that looks six months later when they're at another club. L is for lip reading, of which you don't have to be an expert to see how odious some people are. M is for the mistakes we sometimes make. Surely a bit of controversy is part of the game's appeal. The N. The N is for the numbskull who during the Boxing Day game asks me what else I got for Christmas besides my whistle. An afternoon with your wife, mate. The O is for offside, which many forwards tell me they simply could not have been. The P is for the penalty shootouts. Great drama and no pressure on me. Q is the quiet word which I sometimes need to have with some of the more fiery participants. I usually choose the word pleat. R is for running backwards, a difficult skill which the pundits never seem to appreciate. S is for the suggestion that I should have shown a card of some sort to a player who's just been awarded a free kick. Sorry, I got all that wrong. The S again. Okay, the S. The S is the suggestion that I should show a card to an opponent by a player who has been awarded a free kick. He himself is more in danger of getting one for that. T is for the 21-man brawl, which is basically an embarrassing scene of pushing and shoving. U is for the umpire, which I sometimes wish I'd been instead. You never hear a cricket crowd chanting, who's the bastard in the hat? The V is for vitriol, vilification, vendetta and volley of verbal abuse. Some good bird noises there, boy. W is for Walter Pigeon, who's Mr. Griffiths in How Green Was My Valley. I may have started to sound like during this song. Where was the light I thought to see in your eye? He says that to a young Hugh played by Roddy McDowell. The X. The X represents the sarcastic kiss planted on my forehead by a swarthy Portuguese centre-half whom I just dismissed. The Y is for Yate, the kind of town that referees come from. And the Z. Well, the Z could be for Zidane, Zico, Zola, Zubi, Zaretta, Zoff, even Zondervan. But is in fact for the zest with which we approach our work. Without this zest for the game, we wouldn't become refs. And without refs, well, zero. See also, Zatepe, Zeus, and Zeal Monocorum. Have a caravan there. Static. Naturally. Half Man, Half Biscuit there with the referee's alphabet from their 2003 album, Camel Laird Social Club. As I mentioned last week, if you have any special football-related ditties or songs that you want to hear in this section, shoot us an email to afcncanada at hotmail.com. So just before we kind of wrap up this episode of the show, as we mentioned, there was the town hall meeting at the Vogue on Monday night. Everyone that was everyone was there. I, I wasn't. Whoever could I, get I, to the snowstorm yeah, too. Sick yeah. and the snow and everything like that. But I mean, Zach, you made it there. 
What, what was your kind of overlasting impression of, of how it went down, kind of the reaction of the fans, the topics that were raised and, and the answers that were given? Yeah, I, I don't, I've never gone to one of those events before and I, I usually wouldn't go. I just, honestly, I went just because I wanted to hear Garber. I wanted to hear what they were going to say. Yeah. Uh, uh, <clears throat> I, it was fine. Like, it, it was, nothing was shocking. Uh, both in the questions and in the answers, a lot of vanilla questions. Was, was it picked out the questions? Or? No, that was to be to be honest. That was one of the most surprising things. They actually had open mic. Okay, but it wasn't like unlimited open mic. It wasn't like unlimited follows ups or yeah, like yeah. It, like there's some people who didn't get to ask their questions, which is understandable. And um, there there were some really strange questions in there without yeah, highlighting some yeah, of them. But well, you know, I, I, yeah, I well. It it probably everybody it probably comes, didn't it didn't end on a good question I'll say that but everybody comes uh, to it yeah. from different points of view so uh, yeah so it would have been nicer if there could have been more more follow up to some of those questions right yeah. like because some of the yeah the answers were given were kind of what you would expect but they weren't necessarily the answers you'd want that's where you right? gotta that's where you kind of come in with three people organized in a row. And then back to back to back. So they're all like, if I ask the first person to ask the question, second follow-up, their follow-up. Yeah, but not everyone likes to speak in public. Right? Yeah, so, so I discovered. But, um, <laughs> but no, like you, yeah, it was an opportunity. I think in some ways uh, there were some good things about it. But I, yeah, there was definitely, there weren't enough hard-hitting, no. deep, deep questions. I, I, thought, get it, those I thought it was a, a good thing for the White Caps to put on. Yeah. Don Garber had mentioned to us in the morning that he's going around doing this kind of thing. the country, like America and Canada, just now doing these town halls all over the place. And he says he enjoys it. He said he also enjoys doing the media ones and he doesn't want he doesn't want the questions to be kind of like predetermined. He likes the spontaneity of it. And for all the criticism we, we can maybe give him or and the league and stuff like that, I do admire that he does things that a lot of league commissioners and other sports, even in football, would not go and do. No. And is sit down with his his most kind of critical audience and and take questions. And he there was a couple of tough ones for him. Not he didn't get as tough a ride as I actually expected him to. Mm-hmm. Neither did Jeff Mallet. No, who I, I thought was an excellent speaker. Yeah. So. Uh... I don't know about that, but uh, for me it was. Uh, I, I mean, personally, I asked the question of, of Garber, but I, I probably my my, my, point, my more, more pointed question would have been for for Mallet or, or even Steve Nash. I think the most disappointing thing is I wonder if if Jeff Mallet was listening to the when Robbo and 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 Bobby were on the stage because Bobby kind of reiterated something he hasn't fully reiterated in a while was that the model of what we're doing is based on. "Quote unquote," Ajax in Lyon, yeah, which was you know, you know Jeff earlier uh, in the in the few months ago with his piece with Weber was like people players coming in don't understand what it means to be a white cap. So I wonder if he was listening to that. He understands like to be a white cap is to be to follow "quote unquote" an Ajax or Lyon model, which as as supporters I think is uh, I think is frustrating. And 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 to me the follow up to that which which wasn't asked is. If those are our models, how are we doing in, in those models? And maybe I'll write yeah. something. Maybe I'll write something for AFTN to kind of explore that further. But that, uh, uh, we, 
where we as a they, they keep on talking Indian Mallet talked about this. They keep on talking like, oh, we're this blue chip startup company, blah blah blah. No, like you can't you can't on one side of your mouth say we're this great we have this great history and this great we've been around for so long in different iterations and whatever. But we're also this like we're just this we're the we're new we're the we're the new puppy we're we're you know whatever you can't you can't speak out of both sides of your mouth and yeah. they do they do that all the time, and uh, it, w- they they're only talking that way because we have not performed because we've not yeah. lived up to our potential and that's the that's what I think supporters are most disappointed about. Yes. Yeah. See, for me, we have an interesting fan base here, and it's going to be the same every MLS club throughout North America. Every NESL and USL club probably as well. You've got the hardcore supporters that live and breathe for the club. And pay attention to the yeah, ongoing the, whatever the guys going on, that are on, on the Twitter, forums. On the forums, on Facebook. Yeah. And there's a lot of hostility there. And I do wonder when you have a meeting like this town hall where it is more mellow, are we kind of too caught into this small group of malcontents? And the vast majority, they don't care. It's like they just want. They, they go for the entertainment, the, and it's like, as long as that is the majority, nothing's really, really going to change. Which is unfortunate. Yeah, yeah. but eventually, maybe it can turn around because there's another sports team, the top sports team in, in 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 Vancouver right now, where almost everybody's hardcore, and they get criticism from everybody, and there's a very few casual fans that are just looking for entertainment. So do the Vancouver Whitecaps eventually become to that point where they are going to have to pay attention to all this information? Well, well, here's the here's question. Will, like, will they be able to get to that point? If they I don't keep, know. Yeah. If they keep going the way they are. Yeah. That'll depend on how big the yeah. league grows too. It's also and, the thing as well. It's like the Whitecaps would probably like to be the number one team Oh, they'll never Vancouver, be the number one team. But yeah. be careful what you ask for. Yeah. Then, because with that... You get comes to extra scrutiny. Yeah. But that's the, the thing, though. No, puts the pressure on the Even if there's office. a scrutiny, there, there's like, and this uh, this would have partly been one of my questions for them if I'd asked them, as not Garber, because I asked Garber about accountability on some issues. And this, I would ask them the same question. How are you guys being accountable on some of yeah. the, some of these areas where you say this is what we are and you're not that? Yeah, and because it was, I mean, Garber revealed to the media in the morning, he'd had a meeting with the Whitecaps owners, and I think it was Kurt, Greg Carefoot that had said to him that he spends $6 million a year on youth development at the club. So then, who is accountable for that amount of money, which is a sizable chunk, not producing quality, regular flow of players into the first And how team? much of that is being inflated? Um, like I'm assuming Gerford thinks he's being spending $6 million, but is he actually spending $6 million? Like Well, he will be. When you look at things like the under-18s have to travel to California constantly yeah. and they're flying there. Uh, how much of that is involved in the infrastructure? I think, yeah, exactly. that's what I'm trying to say. Like, yeah. like, uh, like it, 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 uh, A lot of stuff, is, uh, as we all know, gets cut but the, and, but, and sliced. But ultimately, like that. that is a question. Yeah. Uh, one of the questions I would have asked of Mallet or... or or, or potentially of, of Bobby is who is accountable for this? Yeah, like you can say we want to be this club that produces great young players for our national team. Um, but if you, uh, but if that's what you say you're doing, what? Okay, what? What, what do you have to show for it? Yeah, you have to have and, the results. And it was, and you know, it was nice to see. Going back to the top of the show, it was nice to see Russell score a goal. Yeah. I hope it's good for his confidence. I hope it gets some people laying off his back a little bit because in the support culture, they're, not just <laughs> you, but there are some people who, who rag on him, I think, unnecessarily. Yeah. Um, but, like, because he is 
probably the best thing our academy has produced. Yeah. And he has made significant contributions to our club. But then you also look, the Canadian under-20 squad was announced <coughs> for the two World players. Cup in yeah. Costa Rica. Two current white caps, two former, and yeah. Aymar Sig and uh, Dario Zanata, ex-white caps. Caden Chung, Thomas Hassel, the only two white caps in that 20-man squad. And I did ask Rob Gale about that. And he said, I remember bringing some audio from Rob Gale in, in next week's show because I was on a conference call with him for, for half an hour on Thursday. But he said, yeah, they might be the best players in Western Canada, but against in that position, there's better players elsewhere in Canada and the world that's keeping them out of the squad. Yeah. Yeah, Do you blame the Whitecaps for that? Well, but this is a, we could do a whole hour yeah. on, develop, on development alone. We have developed some players who are either dominant or very high quality at age level. It's yeah. it's it's how do you so how, how do you step. how do you make that yeah. transition? And, Caleb and, Clark, possibly one of the oh, best examples. Great example. So how do you help them make that transition? Okay. So and not just on the field. Not just, it's it's more than just on the field because we've heard a lot of people talk about the mental side of things, right? For for some of our some of our players who've tried to make that jump and right and really rag on them. But what are we doing to, yeah. if we say this is how it is, what are we doing to make it the way we want it to be? And those are, those are questions yeah. that I mean, need to be there's asked. There's so many questions, and it's, it's a shame to kind of have to wrap the show up on that. But, I mean, but we will have a development special in one of our, our future shows. That is something we've got penciled in. And there's a lot of exciting projects that's on the go in BC just now. One of the, the current ones being TSS Rovers, who are going to be playing PDL this year. Yeah. Their schedule came out on Friday. Only one clash with a WFC2 game, so hopefully a lot of people will go out and support TSS Rovers, see football at Swan Guard again, and cheer on a bunch of local Canadian guys who are trying to get to the next step in the game. Path to pro, as the PDL hashtag says. Anyway, let's end that show on this note. Just before we go, if you want to just let everyone know where they can find you online. Zach? Yeah, it's uh, at ZacharyAM on Twitter. I'm a part of a movement called Curva Collective. And you can find me at WhitecapsBeat on Twitter. Thanks, Steve. I'm Michael McCall. You can find me on Twitter at AFTN Canada. Read all our stuff away from the numbers, AFTN.ca. I'm also the Whitecaps Beat reporter for MLSsoccer.com and the Western Conference reporter for USLsoccer.com. So check out my stuff on that. Hope you've enjoyed this episode of the AFTN Soccer Show. We'll be back next Sunday for more. Check out all our previous podcasts of previous shows on AFTN.ca. A lot of good stuff that we brought you from the pre-season trip to Wales. Don't want you to miss out on any of that. So until next time, as always, thanks for listening. Take care. And mon the caps. Going to your first match is an experience you never forget. The atmosphere of what's going on around the pitch looks beautiful and you always look and go, wow, I'd love to play here one day. If you get the bug, it's going to stay with you for life. Ten minutes left, yeah, but there's...